Good morning, Sherwood Oaks Bedford. It is great to see all of you today. If you would like and are able, why don't you stand with us? We're going to start the service off with a song of praise, declaring the love of Christ that saves us. And who can heal the blind man? And who can raise the dead? And who can part the waters? And set my feet on dry secures my future and who forgives my past who tears the veil of darkness and tramples over dead no one no one but Jesus
Amen. There's no one like Jesus. Again, welcome to Sherwood Oaks. If this happens to be your very first time with us, we want to say a special welcome to you. We're so glad you're with us. Um, we do have a special gift for you in the lobby at the information desk. If you want to take a moment and pick that up, it's just a way of us saying thank you for being with us and a way for you to learn more about all the things happening at Sherwood Oaks Bedford. Um, I'm going to say a word of prayer. Um, before I do, you know, we had a baptism in the first service. It is, um, you know, it's, it always brings me great joy to see that public declaration about their commitment to Christ. Um, it's because of Christ and the hope that he gives us through his death, burial, and resurrection that we have hope for the future. So let's just pray this morning and uh, give him glory. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness, Lord, and your faithfulness. Lord, there truly is no one like you. When others fail, you're always there. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, for your, we give you all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. How great the chasm that lay between us How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from Jesus. 
everyone. Let's try it again. Good morning, everyone. That's a good one. Has it been a good morning so far? I began the day with the roosters, ended up at Spring Mill Pioneer Village at 8 o'clock this morning. Anyone ever been there that early? It's beautiful. Love it down there. It was hot. Now, make no mistake about that, unless you took off your shoes and just got in the water, and then you 
right down real, real quick. Love that place. Got a chance to uh, do the morning service there at the meeting house every, every Sunday morning between May and October. Different area pastors go in and, and lead a short half-hour service there. So if you find yourself at Spring Mill uh, on a weekend, go down to the meeting house and uh, join up with worship for the others. I love walking through there. That little village is a reminder to me of the importance that each one of us bring to community. You know, a small, small villages, and Spring Mill is a recreation of, of a small town village, but those recreations still give us a reminder of how important the individual members of the community are, the apothecary, the, the butcher, the guy who runs the, 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 the grain mill, the, the blacksmith, the, the weaver of cloth. These guys all had a, a role and a function to play within those small communities. It's, it's a recreation, of course. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Turkey in, in Ephesus. Ephesus is not a recreation. Ephesus is like a it's like an excavation, and so they're, they're removing everything that's not Ephesus so you can walk through it and see what this city used to be like. It's absolutely, it's absolutely amazing. It's one of the best preserved ancient cities that we have on the globe. And Ephesus was an important city. It was not a small little village or a sleepy little town. It was a city, some estimates uh, rank it about three times larger than Bloomington. So if you think Bloomington's a big town, Ephesus was three times bigger than that. It was a cultural and political powerhouse. In fact, I think we got a picture of the stadium there. So that's the picture of the stadium you can see down there. Paul, uh, when he started that riot, he didn't start the riot. The riot happened when Paul was present. That was his defense in court, I'm sure. Um, he was down there. This place was filled, and, and um, archaeologists believe that really the stadium seating actually went up even beyond into what the, the trees there. So they've not uncovered that yet, but their expectation is that they will find more stadium seating even there. That stadium's currently about maybe three-quarters of its actual size. It's amazing. It's amazing. For a historian, for an archaeologist, a place like Ephesus is just a must-visit. But for a Christian, Ephesus is equally as fascinating because we know more about the church at Ephesus than we do about almost every other early Christian church. The Bible has a lot to say about Ephesus. From its founding in the book of Acts um, to the letters that Paul wrote, he wrote uh, a letter to the Ephesians. It was probably not just to the Ephesians, it was probably shared among other churches as well, but he wrote two letters to the pastor of the church of, of Ephesus. The pastor's name was Timothy, and he wrote one letter to Timothy, and then he wrote a second letter to Timothy that we are aware of and that we have access to that tells us a lot about the basic structure and organization and what was going on in this early church. The book of Revelation, if you're familiar with that, talks about the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation. And, and in, in that book, John, who, who history and tradition say was the founder, actually, of the church of Ephesus, one of the founding members there, uh, he writes to the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation saying, don't forget your first love. You do all kinds of good stuff, but don't forget your first love. And then if you're familiar with the story of Onesimus, uh, if you've read the book of Philemon or Philemon, some people say, uh, Onesimus was a runaway slave, and Paul got a chance to engage with him and share Jesus with him. Um, and that story becomes sort of a little glimpse into sort of uh, early Christian um, culture and life. 
Many years later, there is a, a bishop appointed over the church at Ephesus, one of the lead elders. And you know what his name is? Onesimus. So many people believe that the same Onesimus who was a runaway slave became the bishop over the church at Ephesus. It's just really, really cool stuff. Ephesus was more like New York than Bedford, um, and the attitude in Ephesus was probably like that of New York. If you can make it there, the song goes, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. But that means that it's really hard to make it there. The weak are weeded out. Only the strong survive. And in that type of culture, authentic community is hard to create. Not impossible, not impossible, but hard to create. Paul makes it clear in this new family that he's creating, that God is creating in Ephesus. It's not dog eat dog. It's not every man for himself. It's one for all and all for one. We're in this together. He reminds them that the way they experience the fullness of God, and the fullness of God's purposes, is through community. Specifically through what Paul calls spiritual gifts. So today, spiritual gifts, my definition, are practical and sometimes even miraculous ways that we experience God loving us, his church. Today we're talking about community talking about spiritual gifts. Let's pray and uh, we'll dig in. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what we can learn, not just from your word, but, but the evidence you've given around us to support and um, to support and strengthen this idea that you are giving us in your word, this idea that community matters and that you are loving us through just the practical ways that we interact with each other. So God, as we open your word, we pray you would instruct us and deepen our understanding of your love and your purpose for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians. We've talked about it. Let's go there and look at it. As you're turning, here's a little background on Ephesians. So in, in the book of Ephesians, you will see as you work through the book of Ephesians that, that Paul does a couple of things here. He reminds the Ephesians of the blessings that re, you, they've received in Christ, and not just the, not just the Jewish Christians there, but the Gentile Christians as well are together receiving these wonderful blessings. They've been invited into this new family. They've got this new calling and this new purpose. And so when we get to the book of the chapter four of Ephesians, Paul writes this. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble. If you've got a pen and your Bible's open, underline completely humble. And gentle, underline that too while you're at it. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Those are things you can underline. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. There's something else you can underline. Through the bond of peace. And then he gets to our core verse for the day. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. He says, because with all of our uniqueness and differences, all the places we've come from, all the different uh, systems that we've experienced, now in this new family, we lean into this. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. God is just encompassing everything. And then in verse 7, he says this, But to each one of us, grace has been given 
as Christ, as Jesus apportioned it, as Jesus determined where it should go. To each one of us, grace has been given. If you were here last week, we talked about grace. Uh, We've talked about how we both received grace, and we've been given the responsibility and, and the authority, really, to impart grace as well. Maybe you picked up a little plastic ring to remind you this week of how you can both give and receive grace. The truth is that that grace is only ever received and experienced by grace. You can't earn grace. So when Paul writes to the Ephesians about living a life worthy of this gracious calling, he's not saying, you've got grace, now start earning your grace. No, 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 no. He's saying, start Start living in a way that reflects this grace that you've received. And like that prodigal son who who received a new robe from his father and new shoes, Paul's saying, hey, clothe yourself, robe yourself in these new attitudes. Clothe yourself in uh, attitudes that reflect the grace you have received and enable you to give grace as well. Be humble and gentle. We have tender shoots here in our garden. Not everyone is as tough and as resilient and as hardy as you are, so be gentle and humble. Be patient with others because not everyone moves at the same speed you do. It's a reminder Paul is making that we're in community, so we care for each other. We dress ourselves in humility and gentleness and patience, and all of that leads to uh, peace and creates this beautiful new family. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 133. I learned it in the King James Version, so this is the way I'm going I'm to read it to you as well. But uh, in this psalm, David writes this about the beauty of peaceful community. He says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in unity. Steve, you shared that verse Thursday morning, and I'm like, that's a great, that's a great verse. I love that. I love that psalm. And then David gives us this metaphor of what this actually looks like, and he uses an Old Testament example. He says, it is like precious oil poured on the head and running down on Aaron's beard. Anyone know who this Aaron is that David is referencing here? It's Moses' brother. Now Moses, you remember, took the Israelites from slavery, out of slavery in Egypt and led them through the wilderness into the promised land. And on that journey, God starts forming and building this new new family, this new people group, and he establishes some, some different roles for people. And one of the roles he establishes was for Aaron. And Aaron was given the title and the assignment and the ministry of priest. If you go down to Spring Mill, you'll see the little buildings, and, and there's one right beside the meeting house. It's one of those little blue buildings that says apothecary. If you've ever been inside there, you can sort of picture that inside your head. That apothecary serves an amazing purpose in that community. He's the doctor for all intents and purposes there, and every community needs a doctor. But in this, in this community that God is building, he assigns Aaron the role of priest. And the priest's responsibility is to remind the people ever and always of their connection and relationship to God. And so the people will come to Aaron for their, for their spiritual needs, and Aaron will pray for them, and he'll offer sacrifices on their behalf. He'll pray for them. He'll pray with them. He'll pray over them. And in Numbers chapter 6, God gives Aaron verbatim 
a blessing that he is to pronounce over the people that he pastors, that he cares for. The prayer and the blessing goes like this. In fact, if you pull it up, we'll just say this together. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. It is a beautiful, beautiful blessing. David says in this psalm that, that when we live together like this, this beautiful, peaceful community in unity, it is like that blessing of Aaron's that he prayed, that graciousness, that face of God turned towards us. It's like that blessing becomes not just words, but becomes real right in our midst. He finishes that psalm by saying this, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, the same blessing that God commanded Aaron to pronounce over the people of Israel. God, David says, there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. He's saying whenever people are living in this beautiful unity and peaceful humility and kindness and gentleness, it is like that blessing becoming real. It's, the, it's exactly what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying for his disciples. And remember, they're over there asleep in the, on the other side of the garden. And Jesus is there praying. He's praying for his disciples. But then he says this in John 17, verse 20. He says, I'm not praying just for my disciples. I'm praying also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one. Just as you, Father. Just as you and I are one. You are in me and I am in you. That prayer for unity is, is this idea of unity between us and God, just as Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus demonstrates his love and presence among us as we use the spiritual gifts he has entrusted to us. Spiritual gifts are the practical and sometimes even miraculous ways God demonstrates his love and presence among us. And the first point that I want you to walk away with is this, that God has entrusted spiritual gifts to each of us. Sometimes these gifts are called grace gifts, and it's a beautiful picture of the same way he entrusts grace to us. He has entrusted these gifts to us that we can receive from others and others can receive from us. I love that term gift, don't you? When you say someone is gifted in art or music or carpentry or baking or sewing, we are using Bible language for that. They don't know it out there, but we do. If you have a gift for it, you're using If you say you have a gift for something, you're using this biblical language. Now, I'm going to confess something. You're used to that by now. I used to believe that spiritual gifts were sort of like magic powers, that God entrusted to us. He would give us a magic power and say, your magic power is administration, and your magic power is healing, and your magic power is tongues, and your magic power is evangelism. But I'm shifting my thinking a little bit because while there are very miraculous gifts, most of the spiritual gifts that God entrusts to us are very practical. Some might even say, ordinary, just skills and abilities that God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grow you up with these. 
Now, you can look through various places in Scripture to get a full rundown of the, the different lists of spiritual gifts. And, and each of those lists are a little bit different depending on um, who he's writing to, which leads me to believe that it, those may not be exhaustive lists at the time and place in history. Those were gifts that really mattered there, but, but I can see God using other gifts today, but regardless of that, they fall under some big categories. Here's some ways that they, they sort of, sort of uh, congeal together. There, there are care gifts, gifts that, 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 we, that God uses us in to demonstrate care and compassion for others. There's some technical skills that, uh, that God entrusts to us, interpersonal skills, financial skills, artistic skills. Look, in the Old Testament, there's a couple people with spiritual gifts of artistry, and that's a spiritual gift. Communication skills, we can think of those, I mean, like preaching and evangelism, those are communication skills. There's some leadership skills, administration, gifts of leadership the Bible talks about. But, but all of those various gifts remind us that each one of us have a part to play in this New family God is creating. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, he says, You, each of one of you within sound of my voice, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. You, you have a part and a place in the kingdom, in the family that God's building here. When you use the skills that God has gifted you with, you acknowledge that you are part of him now. So you become his hands and his feet and his ears and his mouth. And even with gifts of wisdom, his brain. That's interesting, isn't it? You become Jesus, loving and caring for others through you. And vice versa, because as often as you use your spiritual gift, you get the benefit of others using theirs as well. And as we give and receive these gracious gifts within the context of the family of God, this beautiful thing begins to emerge. I love what Jennifer Lane says here. She says this, as the church, we are in community together trying to fulfill, to fulfill this great commission that Jesus left us with. As we gently press into each other with grace and humility and kindness, we form one united thing, his church. And as we work together, sharing the space God gives us to do his work, we all become shaped a little different. Would you like a different shape? I would. Becoming part of God's family can aid in that. The shape begins more and more to look like Jesus. And I love it when I see Jesus taking shape in our church. Connie Clifton uses the gift of intercession to call and pray for others. Jeff Lampson invests uh, his leadership gift in the discipleship of men. Melanie Swango, um, she uses the gift of generosity uh, to motivate her to serve in the nursery, uh, rocking little babies. Henry Shelt, Shelt, uh, Shelter, he, he uses the gift of teaching as he serves in our elementary and student ministries. Samantha Lee, I've talked about Samantha before. Samantha has suffered, suffered a miscarriage early on, and, and that experience has, has given her a real heart of mercy for other women in our community, and she uses that gift of mercy to help us do a better job of reaching those women who have experienced things like her. Whatever the gift is, whatever those particular skills are, 1 Corinthians twelve eleven says that all these are the work of one and the same Spirit. 
and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. God determines which gifts are needed, and he, he matches the need with the gift. I can imagine earlier this year God saying, you know what, there are some women in Lawrence County that are just feeling sort of lonely and disconnected from larger community. They feel like they're on their own out there trying to figure things out. Man, I would love to place them with other women who can come alongside of them and be an encouragement. And so what does he do? He says, I'm going to find those ladies at Sherwood Oaks with tender hearts, with gifts of hospitality. And I'm going to, I'm going to give them an opportunity to use those gifts to, to welcome new women into community. So you may have heard about the women's ministry here and uh, their group called Find Your People. It's exactly that right there. Even the gifts of pastoring and, and teaching. Paul says these gifts, they're not really just about imparting knowledge or speaking in, in um, amazing ways. And, and uh, even though that's what you get here every Sunday morning. He says, really? <laughs> I appreciate that. There's a raise coming your direction. Um, those gifts really... Their secret purpose, he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, are to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Become mature. That's, that's the goal, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. But it's not just pastoring and teaching. All the gifts are tools by which God builds his church and brings unity and maturity. So if the goal is to bring unity and maturity, why are the gifts so often the source of disunity and immaturity? Have you ever experienced that? I think it's because we may need a little tweak in how we think about spiritual gifts. Because oftentimes we talk about spiritual gifts as if we're at the Oprah Winfrey show and Oprah is dispensing prizes for all of us. So you get a gift and you get a gift and you get administration and you get miracles and you get healing and you get mercy and you go, oh, great. And so we write our little, our little gift on our badge and we slap it on our shirt and if anyone asks, hey, what's your gift? Well, I have the gift of mercy. I have the gift of evangelism. And that's not wrong. I think there's just maybe a different way to think about that. Let me propose a slightly different understanding. Instead of my gift being teaching, so give me a class to teach, or my gift being evangelism, so don't make me rock babies in the nursery, we need to understand gifts not as our gift, but as God's gift. It's God's gift to others that pass through me. Your spiritual gift is God's gift to others that he entrusts you to deliver to the right person at the right time. My spiritual gifts, then, are actually gifts for other people. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. He says, now to each one of you, the manifestation of the Spirit given for the common good. The common good good. And when we get that common good perspective, it changes it from my gift to our gift. From my gift to a gift that I'm simply entrusted with. Let me explain this. I was in England earlier this year and visiting, staying with some friends for a couple of days and, and my friend Dal Yen gave me a gift. She goes, hey, I want you to give this to your mom. 
I go, oh, okay. So, so I put it in the suitcase and I brought it home. And, and when I got home, I called my mom and said, hey, I've got a gift for you. I got, gave it to my mom. Oh, oh, Tim, you're so good to, to get me this. I go, oh, yeah, I am. Yeah, I'm great. You're welcome. You're welcome. I thought of you the whole time I was there. No. I said, oh, no, I didn't get it for you. Dal Yen, it's Dal Yen's gift to you. I merely got it from there to here. In September, a medical team made up of pediatricians and dentists and optometrists and pharmacists and nurses will be heading to Kenya to work alongside a mission that Sherwood Oaks supports called the Mission of Hope International. And all of these guys bring with them skills and, and talents, gifts, we will say, to be used for the benefit of others. They don't hoard those gifts and say, well, this is mine. I've got the gift of optometry. No, that, that optometry is so they can serve others. I want to get a chance to go on that team. I have none of those medical skills, but I do have some that will be useful to the team, and I'm excited to learn how God's going to use even, even my ignorance to be strong. In my weakness, he makes himself powerful. And me saying, here am I, use me however, means, means that my giftedness, my skills, my talents aren't just about me, but it's about me being a blessing to others. We all benefit when you offer yourself and your skills as a channel for God's love for this community. The third thing that I think is so important is that God can deliver any gift he desires through me. You say, now what? I have a gift. God's given me this gift. Why wouldn't God use my gift if he's going to use me? I think he wants it to be more than about more than just that gift. At the end of 1 Corinthians, Paul says something very interesting. 1 Corinthians 12, 31, he says, Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Anyone run across that verse before and go, Now what does that mean? Does that mean that there are really important gifts? And they're like, uh, yeah, if you've got nothing else to do, here's the gift. We're going to give that gift to those people that we don't really trust with the bigger gifts. As if there's some sort of scale of giftedness. I don't, I don't know that's what Paul means at all. So you do a study on this verse. And the word greater is interesting. Can we throw that verse back up there again? 1 Corinthians 12, 31. This word greater is a problematic word. It's a great word, but in this instance, I don't think it's a great translation. Because greater in Greek is translated from the Greek word kritone. Kritone. And kritone in Greek means this. The most useful, more serviceable, or more advantageous gift. If you read this in the New Living Translation, I think the translation works a little bit better. Can we pull that up? In 1 Corinthians 12, 31, in the New Living Translation, it says this, so you should earnestly desire the most helpful gift. The second part of this is, man, if God decides what gifts he distributes, what should it matter what we desire? Well, because God is always matching the need with a person willing to be used by him to deliver the answer to that need, the gift. And if you make yourself available, God can use you to deliver whatever gift 
is needed. While God primarily uses my skills and my abilities, I found this to be true over time, there are still times when my particular set of skills and giftedness isn't exactly what's most useful in the circumstances. And then I simply say, Lord, here am I, use me. Let me be a help and a blessing. In Acts chapter 3, we hear the story of Peter and John. You know Peter and John were disciples of Jesus. And, and Peter is the great evangelist who preaches the gospel there in the upper room and thousands Christians there. And John is this apostle who plants churches. The church at Ephesus was planted by him, many people believe, through history. So we got Peter and John with gifts of apostleship and evangelism. They're climbing the steps to the temple where the Christians meet every day to pray. And on the way up the steps, they encounter a man who is crippled and he's begging for money. And he holds out his palm, as the song we used to sing says, he holds out his palm and he asks for an alms. And Peter and John look at each other and say, I don't know. We've got the gifts of apostleship and we've got the gifts of evangelism. But apostleship, I don't know that we need to be planting a church right here with this guy. Um, so I don't know. I don't, I don't think I have any, anything to offer here. And uh, Peter says, well... I've got the gift of evangelism, and, and I mean, I, I'm used to preaching to a lot of people, but, but, he's, but, he, but it seems like the need right here is not, it's not for a sermon. There's, there's a, maybe a more pressing need, a more helpful uh, gift that is required. And John turns to Peter and says, do you have the gift of generosity? Peter says, well, I, mean, I mean, maybe, but I don't even have any money, so I can't exercise it even if I do have it. We don't have anything to give this guy. And so perhaps <coughs> they're like, well, I guess we'll wait till the right person with the right gift comes along and leave this guy just in his need. But instead, they said, how can we be a conduit of God's grace? Peter turns to him and says, we don't have silver and we don't have gold. Ah, but we have Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And when Peter prays, here am I, Lord, use me. And he speaks a word of faith to this crippled man on the steps. God matches the gift to the need. And if you look very closely at that passage in Acts chapter 3, something very interesting happens. It says, Peter takes him by his right hand and helps him up. Have you ever noticed that before? Peter takes him by his right hand and helps him up. And I just wonder if Peter's word of faith, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk would have had the same miracle potential if he hadn't reached out his hand and helped the man up. I believe that when a willing hand and a faith-filled heart combine, we see miracles. The scriptures say that at once the man's feet and ankles grew strong and he jumped to his feet and began running and leaping and praising God and he goes up into the temple with them and he's doing that there. He's walking and jumping and praising God. And Peter and John being willing to simply say, yeah, 
silver and gold and everything else, we, we, don't, we don't really have what seems to be needful in this moment, but such as we have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Being willing to exercise that most, most, most helpful gift with humility and gentleness and patience results in a miracle and praise and glory being received back to God. Ah, it takes humility and gentleness and kindness to look beyond our own self-centeredness and say, hey, there's a need. How can I help that need? And to reach out your hand and say in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And Peter and Paul say this. Paul says that when we approach opportunities with that attitude, not just our aptitude, but our attitude, because this, this is, he says, this is the excellent way. This is the excellent approach. Later in chapter 13 of Corinthians, he'll call that out. He calls that the way of love, and he describes what love looks like. But it always looks like humility, gentleness, and kindness. Today, as we come to communion, I am thankful for the way that God demonstrates his love the way that he commands a blessing right here at Sherwood Oaks through people that are just willing to say, here am I, Lord, use me. I think about Tommy. Tommy Lee uses softball as an opportunity to build a community that really cares and prays for each other. I think about Jan Gray and Hartman who use their gardening skills to show up and just kind of create a place that's pretty when we walk in the door. Tina and our welcome team warmly welcomed me this morning as I was racing into the parking lot from being down at Spring Mill. And they smiled and held the door open for somebody and said, we are so glad you're here. Kenna uh, and her team used their baking skills to make bread for communion. You're going to have some of the bread that she made this morning as you take communion. Darren Swango and Henry Shetler and the children's and student ministries using the gifts of of just helpfulness and the attitude of patience and joy to instruct our children and students. Mason's back on the back. He uses his technical skills in the production booth so that you can follow along with the sermon easier. There's singers and musicians who lead us in worship. These are ordinary, everyday skills that we allow the Holy Spirit to transform in our lives and transform our lives by them. They become gracious gifts that the body of Christ can experience. And through that just willingness to be used by God, the community is blessed and begins to experience in real time, in real life, what it means that God is blessing us and God is keeping us and God is shining his face on us and God is being gracious to us and God is turning his face towards us and giving us peace. At communion, we remember the sacrifice of Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, the victory of Jesus in his resurrection. We remember that we who were far from God, enemies of God, the scripture tells us, are brought near into this new family by the grace of God. And now in Christ Jesus, where we are blessed and kept, we experience the gracious gift of his presence, not just in theory, but in very practical ways as we Move gently and humbly and kindly together, being formed more and more into his image.
and living in his peace. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your blessing. We thank you for the way that you keep us and make your face shine upon us. We thank you for the way that you pour out your graciousness to us. We thank you for the way that we see your face turned towards us. And we thank you for the peace that we have in you. Father, we thank you that we can experience what that, what you promise us in eternity. It's sort of that life forever when we live in unity. And so this morning as we take communion, we remember the community. And we pray that you would build our unity deeper and deeper. May our lives be gifts to you. In Jesus' name.
be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and the children and the children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and your children and the children may his favor be upon you good. <laughs> you can be seated. Father, this morning as we prepare to give, God, that's our prayer. That what you are doing here and the blessing that you're bestowing in this community, this favor that we're experiencing here would overflow and pour out. That rivers of blessing would go all over our community because of what we're experiencing here. Generation upon generation, our spiritual children and their spiritual children and their spiritual children, that they would experience what it is to know and be loved by a gracious God. This morning as we receive our offering, Father, we pray that that generosity that we see pouring from your heart would pour from ours as well. We give thanks for that grace in Jesus' name. Amen. As the offering is being taken, just a few announcements around the community. One, we got a back-to-school bash going on. 
Uh, school is just right around the corner. Are you all ready for it? Hmm. Pool party this Friday. We're going to celebrate in some water. This seems the appropriate time and the weather to do that. This Friday at 7 p.m. right downtown at the pool. Um, the free admission, there's no cost involved to this. Just show up. Bring your friends and family to be part of that. Uh, we're adopting some teachers. Now, we've been promoting that for the last couple of weeks. Uh, the Dollar Club today is going towards gift cards to help with teachers in their classrooms. If you have taken a donation tag, we need that back as soon as possible, those donations. So if you've not returned those yet, you can bring those to the foyer next week um, or bring those by tomorrow so we can start assembling those. Wednesday night's happening real quick. Uh, right around the corner, our Wednesday night programming is going on. Our, we need some teachers to help out with the small groups in our little kids' classes. Um, four to six week commitment for that. If you can help, that would be great. Some of our greatest needs are in nursery where you can practice the gift of generosity and be blessed in return. Preschool, first grade, those kids are great, aren't they? Middle and high school, okay, if God calls you to that, that's fantastic. No, those are good, great kids. Um, next service, next Sunday. Next Sunday is our, not our single service because not just single people, but married people are invited to this too. We're going to call it our One Service Sunday. It is at 10.30. We're bringing teachers in that we've made gifts for and, and adopted. We're going to be praying for them and showing them uh, God's love with some very practical ways. There's going to be a pitch-in lunch afterwards, bring a dessert or side to share. We'll take care of all the meats and the drinks. Um, there'll be some yard games and some water games for kids and adults out there as well. It's going to be a fun, fun morning, so plan on showing up at 10.30. If you show up, you'll miss some good stuff. So try to set your clocks. Uh, follow us on uh, our Facebook page to be reminded of that. Softball is winding down for this season, but next season's right around the corner. We're going to do another co-ed team. It's a 10-game season. It starts the week of August 22nd. You can sign up there at the front. You know, this week I got a call from uh, Christy. I was right in the middle of this. I was actually kind of reading through the Peter and John story in Acts and, and praying about what God would 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 want to say about that. And I get this call, and she said, can you help in children's ministry this fall? I'm like, have I none, but I would give silver and gold right now just to say, go buy people to work in the children's <laughs> ministry. But God says, no, I'm not, I'm not going to give you silver and gold because I want you. And so I said, you know what, Christy? Yes, I will do that. So I'm going to be helping you there on Wednesday nights for a couple of weeks. If you want to join me, I would love to have you working alongside anywhere in our children's ministry. One of the things that we can... Um, show God's love with is something we do called the International Furniture Drive. We've got a video about that. I'll talk a little bit more about it after we watch this. When I first moved here, I did not have family in the U.S., so furniture giveaway played a big role in providing me the basic amenities that would be needed to just get me started and it was a big blessing for me to have all of those things and not have to worry about every single thing that a household needs. Roommates communicated uh, regarding this furniture giveaway which can fill up our whole home and then we ask for a specific furniture and we got the, all the furniture required for home. Not only do I receive furniture but the furniture was also delivered to my house 
When I just arrived here, I didn't have a car. So even if I have furniture, even if it's free, I cannot have it delivered to my home. I cannot transport it. I think the thing that impressed me most was how organized the entire event was. You just feel that God loves you just by the fact that people are giving to you and they are pouring their lives into you. And to not just show love, but be an extended arm of Christ. Students that don't even know about God can just know God's love through the furniture that is given to them. And probably someday they'll come to faith. I feel like because I received this kindness from the community, from Show Oaks here, so I want to pay it back. So I signed up for a few furniture pickup days. So I go to people's home and pick up the furniture. And I also did uh, the inventory count for all the furniture we receive. Through church and the volunteers at Furniture Giveaway, I found a community and they are some of my closest friends that I have in Bloomington. So I get to call them family. They give me a home and then I got placed into a great Bible study. I had a sense of belonging because I met people that were like me. People will pick me up and drop me off and we learn a lot in, uh, in Bible study and grow more wisdom. And I also attend uh, church events. And I really like the service a lot. When I come to church, and when I read the Bible verses, as we go through those verses, we discuss about it and we learn a lot and which can be implemented in our own lives. For example, the kindness. There are so many things we can learn from the Bible. Christy Houston, she picked me up from the airport. So I reached out to her. I said, I want to go to the church. Could you introduce me to some people or some Bible classes? And that's what she did. She introduced me to Sherwood Oaks and I start coming to church regularly. I start taking Bible classes, and eventually everything kind of adds up, so I'm ready to become a Christian, so I got baptized last year. And now I am coming to church regularly, going to Bible classes, volunteering at Sherwood Oaks, serving God, and I feel very content about this life. It can be hard sometimes to find community in big places, um, but when we offer our services and our assets and skills, community begins to be built. And what we saw there was this beautiful story of um, someone being introduced and invited into um, friendships and the gospel changing their lives. We've got students from all over the world that will be descending on a town not too far from us, and we can have an impact on their lives without ever going to India or China or anywhere else. Pray for these young men and women as uh, they're joining um, uh, classes and, and becoming part of the university that we will have opportunities, not just to share plates and saucers and desks and dressers with them, but we will have a chance to share Jesus with them as well. If you want to be part of that in whatever capacity, picking up people at the airport, helping move furniture, we're going to be providing a meal for the volunteers that day. Um, we will let you know more about that, so be thinking and praying about how you're involved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gather in your name to worship you. Gathering is a wonderful blessing, but gathering with the intention of serving and building and encouraging each other through what we bring, the gifts that you have gifted us with, that you have entrusted to us, changes it just from a gathering to a community. 
And that's what we want. We want a community built around the unity we have in you. And we want that unity to be expressed with, with graciousness, with kindness, with humility, with patience, all the ways that we will experience that blessing of Aaron growing up around us, coming true right here in our presence. We pray, we pray that would happen as we offer ourselves to be used by you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. May his favor be upon you and about generations and your family and your children and your children and your children. May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations your family and your children and the children and the children may his favor be upon